Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another edition of The Stunt Show, coming to you live from our satellite studio on Yeshiva University's Wolf Campus. I am Daniel Gordon, son, husband, and one quarter of the amazing Stunt Show team here on the Nachum Siegel Network. First and foremost, I want to thank my friend ZK for making all this possible. ZK, we've traveled all across the metropolitan area. You do all the work, and I just show up. Quite a great arrangement, so thank you. Second, I want to wish a very happy birthday to two people. First of all, to my older brother, Ben, who turns uh, 29 today. Enjoy the end of your 20s. And Mazel Tov on your recent marriage to Tani Hochstein. Ben, here's to many more happy and healthy years and hopefully a Jet Super Bowl in our lifetime. And Tani, welcome to the family. Also, I want to wish a happy birthday to my friend and colleague, Allison Rubin. Al, I know you hate making a big deal out of birthdays, but I wish you and your entire family only health and happiness during the year to come. As always, if during or after the show, especially during this time, you realize that you'd like more Daniel Gordon, please email me at daniel at com. Seriously, your honest feedback and comments about the show are welcomed and appreciated, and I hope this show will gain its inspiration and content from you. Today, literally, the listeners. This month is National Mentorship Month, and that, and that is what we will be speaking about today. Before we get to my guest, I want to speak a little bit about the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame, something which I am not an expert in, but as a member of the media, I apparently get to have opinion on. Um, as you know, yesterday, three extraordinary players, uh, Frank Thomas, Greg Maddox, and Tom Glavin, were inducted into the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. Uh, what struck me about this was not who was or wasn't inducted, I'll leave that to the real experts, but rather what the Hall of Fame means. Growing up, I always viewed the Hall of Fame in every sport as the penultimate individual accomplishment, which ensured that these, but that those special selected people would be part of a special group forever enshrined in American history. Moreover, these individuals' accomplishments are put on display for all old, young men, women, and children to see and, jo- and gain inspiration from. So, as another group is chosen and soon enshrined, I ask myself and all of you, are these really who we should be inspired by? Well, I admire what all of these men have done. To me, the Hall of Famers, the Hall of Fame's baseball and others have lost their inspiring quality. As we and our children and grandchildren search for role models and values to live our lives by, is this what we should learn from? Should we really be looking to successful athletes for inspiration? I don't know the right answer, but nevertheless, I think it's something worth considering. So during this National Mentorship Month, I couldn't think of somebody more important to, uh, to join me than uh, my guest coming up. Um, and I think it's important to highlight this topic um, as and the positive role that mentors and mentees can play in all of our lives. As I've said before, I feel so blessed to work at Yeshiva University. While I certainly have my good days and bad days, I gain so much inspiration for the students I see each day. They're passionate about who they are and what, and what we as a people stand for. But I also go to work each day and I'm surrounded by colleagues and even bosses yes, I said it, who share that same passion for our people, our present, and our future. Today, I welcome my colleague, boss, mentor, and friend, Rabbi Josh Joseph. Bear with me. His bio is pretty long. Uh, Rabbi Josh Joseph is the Senior Vice President at Yeshiva University, where he has operating responsibility for the administrative and academic aspects of the university, ensuring uh, effective planning and service delivery. Josh guides the university's strategic planning process, as well as, as its implementation. He also works to ensure the effectiveness and efficiency of various departments around the university, developing collaboration opportunities and proper partnerships between and among faculty, administration, staff, students, and trustees. Whoever wrote this bio, by the way... Um, Really deserves a lot of credit. Finally, Josh directs the presidential fellowship. I helped. The universe in university and community leadership, a young leadership incubator, as well as several task force focused on adding creativity and innovation to the university. Josh is also, I added this line myself, a featured speaker on holiday programs and in various venues around the country. 
perhaps most importantly on a day like today, Josh is a native of Montreal, which I believe is probably colder there than it is here. It is. So we can gain some comfort in that. Um, he completed his undergraduate degree with honors at the University of Pennsylvania. He received his rabbinic ordination from the YU-affiliated Rabbi Isaac al Theological Seminary, while simultaneously, well, Montreal is 16 degrees right now. Um, that's, complete, uh, that's warm for today. Yeah. Completing a master's in Jewish philosophy at YU's Bernard Revel Graduate School. He also completed fellowships and certificates at NYU's Wagner School of Public Administration, sponsored by the Mulestein Foundation, UJA Federation, and Harvard Institutes of Higher Education. I think I put on your Harvard... Uh, and your Harvard uh, hole in the office, so that's great. Josh uh, previously worked in a hedge fund and is a pulpit rabbi and served as the executive director of the Orthodox Caucus. Um, before joining YU's administration, Josh worked as a special projects for Yeshiva University's Center for the Jewish Future. Where he developed his passion for social entrepreneurship that informs his daily work. Most importantly, there we go. He has a wonderful wife named Julie. They live in Lawrence, New York, and they are the proud parents of Zach, Ozzy, and Marsha. Welcome, Josh. What's up? <laughs> I don't know. You tell me. Uh, after that introduction, I don't think there's anything left to be said. Well, first, I, I can definitely say one thing that we can agree on. I want to wish you a mazel tov on Ozzy's bar mitzvah this Thank past you weekend. Thank you very much. Thank I am 0 for 2 on Joseph bar mitzvahs, but I heard it was excellent. You're not going to be invited to Marsha's bar mitzvah, so don't wait for the invitation. Well, uh, thank you. <laughs> now, you, if, if you're out there and you're wondering what our relationship is like, there it is um, in a nutshell. Uh, before we get down to business, I want to remind everybody that we are live today, which means that you can send uh, your questions about preferably mentorship, but uh, Josh can answer questions about almost anything, style, tie bar, uh, socks, all the like, um, and the Jewish people. You can either send them to me at com or by tweeting at Josh, and his Twitter handle is at joshjoseph00. Um, we're, I'm going to try to teach him what Twitter is as we go yeah, along. please do. So first of all, um, because it's National Mentorship Month, uh, that's really the topic I want to focus on. Mm-hmm. And uh, I want to read you the Google definition of mentorship, and then I want to ask you your uh, definition. If it's on Google, it's true and it's accurate. So whatever you do is going to be you know, secondary okay. to Google. So the noun is an experienced and trusted advisor, and the verb is to advise or train someone, especially a younger colleague. So with those two definitions in mind, what does mentorship mean to you? Well, look, if we, since we are sitting in a library, I figure it's probably not just important to have a definition from Google, but to understand the true root, the shoresh of where the whole concept comes from. So Mentor was actually a friend of Odysseus, according to Greek mythology. And when Odysseus had to go off to fight in a battle, he invited Mentor to come or asked Mentor to come take care of his son, Telemachus. So when people talk about mentor and mentee, as you so graciously did at the beginning of this uh, segment, it really should be mentors and telemachi or telemachuses, whichever the plural of telemachus would be. Um, and really, in that setting, uh, it was in loco parentis, really uh, just to come and replace what a parent would do, all aspects of taking care of uh, uh, his son, uh, telemachus. Um, What's interesting to note is that later uh, in mythology, Athena, who was running away from uh, those who were pursuing her, uh, turns herself into looking like Mentor, and she uh, takes care of Telemachus. And in fact, uh, we, we get a little more insight into mentoring there because she uh, encourages Telemachus to go find out what had happened to Odysseus and, and does some encouragement, sort of like your definition that, that you had given before in terms of the interaction, not just in terms of modeling, but also in terms of, uh, in terms of relationship. It is, it, is, uh, it is interesting to note that um, uh, when God uh, chooses, says that he loves Avraham, 
when he chooses Abraham as his beloved, the reason given is because of his relationship with with Yitzchak, with Isaac, and um, uh, but but as was pointed out to me by Rabbi Shai Shachter, there are only eight words that Abraham ever speaks to uh, to Isaac, uh, and those eight words all take place during the Akeda, during the uh, the, the uh, Binding of Isaac. And, uh, so it's hard to imagine what kind of relationship they really had if they didn't talk a lot. And the lesson that, that is derived from that is that mentoring, leading, guiding can also be about modeling and not just about having conversations. However, we see that really when it comes to Lahavdil, uh, you know, mutatis mutandis, when you're referring to, uh, the, uh, relationship between Athena or, uh, mentor himself and, uh, uh, Telemachus, uh, modeling is an important part of that mentoring relationship. Um, and I guess maybe some Musser Haskell, something we could take away from it, is that sometimes, as Athena did, in order to become a mentor, uh, we have to turn ourselves into better people or different people than we might otherwise have thought we were. So just to deepen your definition and take it in a, a more full direction, uh, you, you sometimes need uh, you know, some of these original sources in order to, uh, to, to get a fuller picture of what it is. Wow, I did not plan on a uh, lesson in Greek mythology. Well, we're in the library. The so. And I want to just say that... Uh, to all you out there, uh, I did not prep Josh uh, for that. Uh, I prep him for a lot of stuff, but per our policy, I did not prep him. Um, and that was really fascinating, something I didn't know. So going back to the origins, actually, I was going to come to this later, but let's go back um, because of the definition you spoke about from Greek mythology. Uh, one of the ways in which people mentor um, is uh, as a parent. So I think, uh, I guess, my question to you and the famous in the Geras Ramban. You know, it starts off Shema Bani Musar Avicha Valtitosh Tarasimecha, and the Rav has this whole piece on the difference between Taras Avicha and Tarasimecha. So my question to you, as is as a parent, because that's the origins in Greek mythology of mentorship. Um, where do you see? Uh, you you mentioned modeling a little bit, but in addition to modeling proper behavior, what is it as a as a mentor in that parent relationship that you can kind of shed light on um, as a parent? So I have to do a shout out at this point. For, uh, since you mentioned Igaris Ramban, you mentioned parenting for my wife, Julie, who is uh, in the process. She's handed in two chapters of her uh, thesis, her doctoral thesis on, on bullying. And next month is going to be, I think, uh, bullying, anti-bullying month. So uh, she'd be an interesting person to have on the show. Just, she's giving, just throwing that out there for you. Um, but uh, she's also spoken about and written on the Igaris Ramban and the relationship, uh, Torres uh, Imecha specifically. And um, it's an interesting thing, um, you know, just having gone through a bar mitzvah, but also when you're looking at uh, children throughout all the ages, uh, how much is overprotecting and how much is underprotecting and at what points do you start to let them uh, figure things out on their own and become individuals. Um, it, it's a delicate balance. We're not always sure. And for the neighborhood we live in, often we're a little, about, a little bit far out ahead of some of our uh, our other parents, and you, you're ready to talk to your kids about that yet? And uh, oh, you already did. Okay. Um, and uh, it, it is it is a it is a difficult question. Uh, there's only one answer, which is that every child, every student, every uh, individual needs to be treated by Asherim Sham as they are uh, and where they are, and that's why. Uh, we have the concept of Chanuch Lunar Al Pidarko. Um, and sometimes they're going to be ready for it sooner, and sometimes they're going to be ready for it later. And I have one son who said to me, you know, you talked to me about subject X, Y, and Z when I was 10 or 11, 
please don't talk to my younger brother about them until he's a little bit older. Um, I want to ask him why. He didn't say, well, because I'm more mature. He said, because... Well, I thought I was a little young for you to talk to me about that back then. So wait a couple years for that for the next one. So you figure it out. Uh, th- there's no book on these things. There's no bu- there's no book on those. Um, and 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 the most important thing, and whether it's in your definition or thinking about the history, and this all and this answer, um, it's about a relationship. And so relationships, there are no books on. I mean, there are plenty of books on relationships, but you got to go. You have to have some kind of emotional intelligence to be able to know when to take a relationship to the next level. So I guess uh, I, w- I was going to ask you for some practical advice as a God willing soon to be parent. And I guess that the, tova. thank you very much. I guess that the pressure is the answer is really that there's no advice for a first time parent, second time parent or third time parent, because each time or 10th time parent, each time every child is different. Every relationship is different and that. And when you guide a child, it's about, you know, not necessarily, doing what you thought was good for you or what was good for one kid, but rather what's good for... for I wouldn't say there's no advice. There's lots of advice. Um, And there's some great advice to follow. Um, And uh, that's why I listen to my wife, whatever she says. But um, there there are a lot of great things, and I thank my parents also for helping me to get to this place. But if you try to do a cookie cutter for every single kid, it ain't going to work. It's just not going to flow, and you got to fi- figure out where the child is at whatever stage they're at. Uh, and that's the same thing with a work relationship or a friend relationship uh, or a familiar relationship is understanding where that relationship is and how you can take it to the next place. Wow. That's great advice for me and for anybody listening out there. And, uh, again, you can send your questions in uh, for Rabbi Joseph uh, to me at com or by tweeting um, at joshjoseph00. That's the words Josh Joseph and the uh, two zeros. Uh, so going on to the uh, work relationship, I certainly have benefited from uh, mentorship from you, from President Joel and from others. And I think uh, I know why it's important and you realize why it's important. But if you were giving advice out there to other people, both from a business perspective, as somebody who mentors people who have gone on to careers at your current company and other places, but also just to general people who um, are looking to be mentored, why is it so important to kind of take somebody under your wing and mentor them, whether that's modeling or teaching them in each one specifically? Well, I, I just thought you were going to ask the question in the other direction. Why is it important to find a mentor? Um, I was going to get to that after. And uh, so uh, I'll, I'll answer that then later. So why is it important to be a mentor? So um, I'm often influenced by the books that I'm currently reading. I happen to be reading a terrific book by Adam Grant, who's the youngest tenured professor, I believe, at Wharton or maybe in its history. Um, and uh, it's called Give and Take. A very simple uh, uh, premise, but uh, a lot of fascinating ideas there uh, about givers, takers, and matchers. Um, I won't steal all the, uh, the punchlines from the book. I think it's worth, worth looking into. But the bottom line is that... Um, Successful people are often givers uh, because they are willing to give without asking for a match in return and without necessarily asking uh, for how it's going to benefit them directly now. Uh, And often the benefits don't happen right away but happen later on in terms of how people relate to them and how people react to them. So just from that perspective, being a mentor is tremendous in that you have the opportunity to give to people. Uh, But I'll go back to what I said about uh, Athena. Um, When I find myself talking to you, for example, 
and you're a friend, at, at, you know, and we'll, we'll be hanging out and we'll be able to talk about whatever it is. But when we're sitting down and I know it's a mentoring session, I'll try to behave better. I'll try to say things maybe that aren't funny, but that are, that are, that are, have advice in them based on my own experience, things that I was successful at or more usually more frequently things that I didn't do well that, that I'm trying to give you guidance for, uh, that, uh, um, that hopefully you'll do better. But for me, it then ended up reinforcing, well, why aren't I doing that now? Um, and, you know, I, I think that, uh, that, that there's that benefit, not just of being, of giving, but of reminding yourself of those so- sorts of things. The, the other component, which I think is really important, is that uh, we cannot be islands unto ourselves. We need people around us. And without creating these mentoring kinds of relationships, uh, what, what kind of future uh, are we building? What, what bridges are we building? What, what carob trees are we planting, even if they're not going to be sown for, uh, for 70 years? So um, I, I think that all of those, for all those reasons and many, many more, um, it's, uh, it's an important thing to do. And I guess just to, to one last point, I've benefited from, treme- from tremendous opportunities in mentoring through my life. Uh, if I start naming a few, uh, including my parents, I'll leave people out. But whether it's my parents or it's President Joel or it's a Rabbi Kenny Hain or other people that I've worked with and worked for over the years, um, I've really, uh, really benefited from people giving to me. And so in my own little way, I hope that I can be sort of paying it forward uh, for others. Well, as one of your mentees, or whatever that fancy word you said at the beginning. Telemachi. Uh, telemachi. Um, I certainly thank you. And I think that when I think about what it means, you know, we're going to talk about mentorship programs in a minute. But, you know, you and I have worked together on developing, uh, bringing the presidential fellowship further, but also developing a, a lay mentorship program um, at Champions Gate at the YU Annual uh, leadership conference and one of the things for me was as a mentee to figure out how you can have all of those values and give back to the mentor as well because it's very obvious that you could be a giver and not quote unquote a taker when you're the mentor even if you realize those subtle things but when you're the mentee the relationship appears one-sided so how can you as a mentee then go on and give back and that may be right away but also that may be a character and sometimes as you know with the with the perspective, it's a challenge to be the mentee and to look up and say, how can I contribute back to this and how can I benefit the person as well? Look, uh, you know, I, there are lots smarter people who have written about about this sort of thing. Um, the question you didn't ask, which you said you were going to ask, but uh, so I'll, I'll sort of answer that and answer this one at the same time, um, is why do you need a mentor? Why do people need mentors? Um, one or a plural? And I, I say one or plural because... Sometimes you can get some things from, from one person, uh, and sometimes you can get things from different people in different ways. Uh, I have the voice of my friend Jeff Cobrin uh, in my head who once told me, you know, sometimes you can get too much advice from too, diff- too many different people and have too many voices in your head and not be able to make a decision. But, uh, you know, there are different people who are going to offer different things to you. And so creating a whole board of mentors can be helpful. Um, but it's more than that. People are very worried and busy and stressed about uh, getting ahead, but not just getting ahead, figuring it out, making life make sense. And there are often so many questions that we have. Do I go to the rabbi? Which rabbi? 
uh, who do I ask? Do I do I talk to my spouse about this? Do I talk to a parent about this? But there are things that I don't really want to talk to them because they are involved and they, they might be upset with me if I ask them about these things. So mentorship gives you another outlet for to test out theories, to ask questions where you don't really know the answer, safe spaces for you to be able to make it, to make it work for yourself and to be able to make it, uh, make even making it better. Um, and I think that it's crucial to develop those kinds of relationships. I don't, however, believe that a mentor has to be somebody who is old and wise and gray. Uh, uh, mentor, even though you're gray. Not yet. Ing. Gray not yet. I, don't, I may be balding or bald, as my kids say, but I don't know about gray. Ing. Platinum. The doorman in my parents' building calls it platinum. But I'm graying also, so that's your mentorship. I'm trying to become just like you and gray. I, I don't know. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're gonna take a picture of this and we're gonna see who has more gray at this stage, even though I'm much, much older than you are. Um, you know, even though we're both 27. So, um, yeah, I think that, uh, that it's important to have that, uh, to, to, to have those relationships. But again, uh, you can get mentoring from peers. And you can get mentoring from people who may be younger than you, uh, maybe have less experience. It, it's a question of guidance. It's a question of where you're going to be able to have those kinds of relationships and get guidance from. You, that is definitely true. And I'm going to get to a question actually from a listener um, who falls in a similar peer group to you looking for some mentorship. Um, and, and we're going to talk about the different definitions of peer groups. But I just want to remind everybody that, again, you can send your questions in um, live here on the Stun Show to either uh, com or tweeting at uh, JossJoseph00. And the first question comes in from a peer group of yours, and the peer group I'm talking about is Cowboy Fans. All right. And the question comes in from uh, Nachum in Midtown Manhattan, uh, who probably should be working right now. Um, <laughs> and the question is, when is it time to stop being a Cowboys fan? And will the Jets ever be good enough to entice a Cowboys fan to switch over? So my son asked me that question just the other day. Um, I, I think, when was the last time they won the Super Bowl? 94? 96 C- maybe? C- certainly much more recently than the Jets even got there. Right. Um, I think that would have been a good time to stop right then, <laughs> go out on top. That's always a good, uh, a good way to win. Um, I, I think also that... Um, since the uh, since I've been involved in fantasy football, and a little shout out that uh, I won my fantasy football league this so year. So did I. All right. And so did this go. distant Nahum somewhere. Yeah. Uh, I, I believe that uh, it's time to vote for my fantasy football team, not uh, to root for them, not to not not for the Cowboys or the Jets or anybody else like that. Well, there is hope um, on the horizon. So uh, you know. That brings me uh, to what I wanted to talk about next, and that's the difference between we've been talking a lot about formal member mentorship. What I would say, you know, you find a parent, you find your board, this, but then there's also informal. So there's you meet somebody and you're able to meet them. It's not part of a specific program. Um, and what, what do you think um, are the importance of finding a formal and informal? And how do you sometimes what what's the difference, and how do you find that you know the differentiation between those and where one can be? better than the other. You spoke a little bit about sometimes your parents are too close to something or your boss is mm-hmm. too close. So, um, you know, just kind of finding somebody you don't know. You may meet somebody, you may meet another Cowboys fan where you never know what's going to come from that. Look, you, you, now you're, you're, you're branching the conversation out into networking. And great. I mean, we uh, as Jews are all about networking, uh, creating, developing relationships where not only we benefit from, but that we benefit others too. My um, 
my take on this, and again, influenced by what I'm reading now, but also I think by what I, how I act, is that the way to do this, and, and uh, just to come back, you, you, I didn't get to fully answer the question you had before, is how does a mentee give back to a mentor? Uh, don't start a conversation, as Sheryl Sandberg would say, uh, are asking, will you be my mentor? If you have to ask that question, says Sandberg, it ain't going to work, right? So uh, develop a relationship with somebody. Ask someone for guidance or advice. Help somebody out. Uh, that's really what it comes down to. Um, uh, you know, people get caught up. Is Am I mentoring? Am I, am I getting mentoring? Do I have a network? Am I creating a board? It really comes down to having rela- developing relationships with people. So how would you develop a relationship? Daniel, how would you go over to somebody and start a conversation with them? You bumped into uh, Mike Greenberg walking through ESPN. How, how do you create a relationship with them? Man? After the, I got over the uh, starstruck. Uh, yes. The star, <laughs> yeah, I think you just have to – I mean I think that's one of the points that um, – relates to formal versus informal that sometimes the informal is better because you're able to have this natural relationship but you never know where it's going to come where sometimes when you're part of a formal program and we've seen this a little bit um in 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 the presidential fellowship not that it's a criticism of somebody specifically but it's forced upon you where you can find somebody who can be your mentor so you go over to them you talk to them you have this relationship and then you never know what tidbit um, you're going to get. I would say the only, you know, the other thing is even when you're in a formal program, so you think you're mentoring somebody about how to do a project or how to be professional or how to run a meeting or whatever it may be, and they may be getting that, but they also may be picking up on something else that, in an informal way that you didn't know. How do you how do you dress? How do you talk? How do you walk? How do you re- relate to people? So I think you know, for me, it's finding always looking for those opportunities and finding them. And whether I say to the person, "You're my mentor" or not, uh, my mentor could be somebody that I, you know, read from that I think is amazing or how they live their life. Um, so I think that's really, for me at least, you know, where it comes from is finding those opportunities and making them, adding them to my board of mentors, formal or informal, and pulling that together. Yeah. Again, uh, um, uh, you know, you happen to have a gift of the gab, and you can talk. I mean, I think Daniel could probably talk to a wall. Um, and I thought uh, I was talking to a wall right now. But, there we go. I just walked into that one, didn't I? Nailed uh, it. Nailed that one. So the 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 I don't think that that should be a problem for you. But what happens if somebody is a, a little more shy or you know not as willing to doesn't know what to talk about when they get in a situation? And and uh, I have a little more experience with that than you do. I think um, you can still develop relationship and develop uh, mentors um, by asking questions. By asking for, I'm going through such and such in my life. And and these sorts of mentorships that develop over years, it's not, I'm going to meet with you once every two weeks and we're going to sit down and we're going to do mentoring. Um, you're right, that becomes forced. But it's creating relationships. It's sending somebody a, have a great weekend or happy new year, whichever new year it is, or uh, whatever it is. Having that relationship, working with somebody to help them or get help from them, over time, over years, these kinds of connections um, can only be helpful to you in the long run. So we got a question in that I think relates directly to this. It's from uh, Yoni. Um, And Yoni asks, what traits does one need to look for in a mentor when they are well into their career? So finding somebody, regardless of where you are in life, when you're well into your career, how do you find somebody to mentor you? So you're looking for those relationships and you're trying to build them. What what should one be looking for, um, either specifically later in the career? It's his question, but I would even ask it more broadly. When you're looking for somebody to add to that board, 
what is it that you should be looking for um, in them? And you know, we, we spoke about from them, but what about in that person in general? I think the context also matters. So if you have a situation, a work situation, a spouse situation, uh, a family situation where everybody just sort of yeses you, says whatever you think and go ahead and do your thing, I sort of I had very uh, laid back open-minded parents who said, all right, Josh, you go out there, do your thing, and figure it out. But at some point, I wanted somebody to, to tell me, Josh, do X. So I went out to find mentors who would say, Josh, do X. Now, I didn't necessarily find those um, because when I would push them, they would say, well, why don't you listen to your parents? They're, they're giving you the good advice. But that also validated what I had been hearing. So there's context that matters to this as well. Um, so one thing to look for is something that's somebody that's relatable to you, somebody who's going to understand your situation. Maybe they went through something similar. Maybe they are going through something similar. Maybe they can they've dealt with uh, students who've gone through similar things or uh, parents who've gone through similar things. So uh, one thing is relatability. Another is somebody who is has insight. People often confuse that smarts with IQ. I'm not talking about you don't have to go find somebody in Mensa to get some good advice. We all know people who are smart, who give good advice. That is also very helpful. Somebody who says things straight, somebody who will tell you, maybe not rudely, but tell you, you know what, Daniel, green is just not your color. It's just that that shirt is I think awful. I'm rocking it right now. That but, shirt. Uh... Green and brown? Really? Green and brown? Awful. From the tie bar man. Yeah. Um, but wait, one more, one more point. One more point on that, which is that um, – so, but it doesn't have to be somebody who's always going to tell you uh, th- negative, but somebody who can disagree with you and show you why, uh, that's crucial. If you're just surrounding yourself with yes people all the time, then uh, you're not going to get the right mentoring that you need. So speaking about that, um, and we're really going to go a little bit uh – I thank you, everybody, for sending in your questions, and we're going to get a little bit uh, off the topic of mentorship into some general questions that people sent in um, in a little bit. But I want to stay on the topic for just a minute. Um, the boy who fenced, uh, a good a, a presidential fellow of yours uh, this year, Yitzi, uh, tweeted at you the following question. What have you learned from this year's cohort um, of presidential fellows? That, you know, as there, we were talking about the board. So what, and I would, and, and I would say as a, past fellow many moons ago, um, what is it that, that you've learned from this group of... Many you know, belt y- sizes ago, you could say that. Be... Only one or two. Yeah. Um, I mean, for you, maybe more. Um, but, uh, <laughs> sorry, too easy. But you just had a bar mitzvah, so you have a built-in excuse. Um, so, you know, what have you learned from this group of people that you've watched the program grow uh, now in its, I think, 11th year? 10th. 10th or 11th year. I think yeah. last year was the 10th. Um, 11th year. Uh, I've only been tenth. involved 10 years. Exactly. So your 10th year of being involved, what is it that you've learned from this group um, who have you know, kind of taken and gone through the history of Yeshiva University as well uh, through some of these times? Uh, what have you learned from them? In a word? I can't answer that in a word. Not in a word. I didn't say one word. Uh, I didn't even limit you to 140 how characters. Much, how much time do we have? Um, uh, let's start with the one thing. What have I learned from the Presidential Fellows? Um well, I guess one thing, going back to what we talked about before, I've learned how to be a better mentor. Uh, I've learned how to uh, prioritize my time, uh, not always for just what's urgent and necessary, but for what is uh, what is important. Uh, and what is important, I'm, I'm, I'm saying the same thing over, is, is relationships. Um, there are 100 uh, alumni of the fellowship that are out there who 
I still have a relationship with a, a number of them, uh, and that's uh, it's a it's a great blessing, and it's a it's a better relationship than I have with a lot of other people who I've lost contact with over the years, and uh, that kind of opportunity to be close to a group of thoughtful, young, creative, uh, opinionated uh, doers, and uh, maybe more important, dreamers, uh, is uh, you. I cannot put a dollar amount or a valuation or a measurement on what I've gained uh, from being involved with the program for uh, for the last 10 years. And I know the question wasn't asked to me, but I will uh, say something that I've heard from you in present in the past that I think is true. Um, somebody who's recently out of the fellowship, but even once you're out of it, you realize uh, how different life is when you're not in this dreaming state. We all need to dream. Um, and I'll talk about that a little bit later, um, also in the country segment, but, uh, you know, that they don't know what impossible is. That's something President Joel talks about all the time, and I think that's as usually the mentor relationship is an older to a younger person. So as you look for mentees, I said usually it's not always, but when you look for somebody to mentor you or somebody to inspire you to say impossible is nothing. So we've said, uh, you know, this program can't work, and then they say, why not? Let's challenge the status quo or this idea or whatever it is. So for me at least, that's something that – that mentees and even mentors have shown me that you may think something's not going to work. Um, and the fellowship was a good example of that. But why is that true? And sometimes we need people to challenge our status quo as much as we need people to advise us, but to say, are you sure? To play devil's advocate as as a position, but also because that's what they believe and that's where they're going to go. So I agree with your point about challenging the status quo. I don't always agree that young people um, – uh, are are as free as you would like to think. And in fact, a lot of the part of the fellowship and a, and a lot of my work with people of all ages um, is that they feel they're not free and they can't dream and they're stuck because they have to get a certain job by a certain age, making a certain amount of money, having a certain amount of spouses and a certain amount of kids and a certain amount of cars and a certain amount of uh, bank account and uh, what, what do you want? I, I just have to get everything done and I got to cram everything in and there's no time to think and there's no time to breathe and what do you want from me? Um, and I feel like that that kind of pressure and stress exists throughout our world and uh, and beyond. Um, and sometimes uh, people and often people are so unsure about themselves and don't see the greatness and the power that they have within their own hands to be the people that they want, to lead the lives that they want, that they get stuck. So I would uh, – that's true and uh, absolutely right on the money. My question to you, a follow-up, actually would be a specific example of that. That's something that a, a, a long-time listener but a, but a first-time caller uh, wrote about, and I think it relates to Yeshiva, to your position at Yeshiva in general, but also to the world out there in terms of dreaming and doing what's best for us, and that is – you know, both with what's going on in YU right now, but also in the general world of private higher education. For people who are dreaming, who want to come to Yeshiva University, who want to come, you know, go to private education. But the question is, what can we say to them about need-based financial aid and the ability to for them to afford it? Um, is there anything that you can say, both relating to Yeshiva University, but I would even say broader, to reassure them in helping them make their decisions at, about the financial benefits of certain, you know, lifestyles and, and, and program decisions and stuff like that? I look. I work in education. I believe in education. I live it. It's uh, when I go home from work. Yes, sometimes I do go home uh, from work. Um, I'm still doing education because I'm sitting with my kid, and whether I'm preparing for his halacha 
final or, 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 or English final or whatever it is, or I'm just doing the modeling, it's all about chinuch. It's all about education. So uh, I believe there's no uh, there's no such thing as getting by with uh, with less. At some point, you're always going to have to get to the point of education uh, that you need to get to. So uh, if, are you going to pay for it or you're not going to pay for it? Uh, one of the most important things when I was considering going to business school a number of years ago that I learned from a, a cousin of mine, uh, he explained to me the Tinstoffel principle. You know the Tinstoffel? You know, nope. He said, you don't have to go to get an MBA. Here's a, here it is right now, Tinstoffel. Tinstoffel stands for there's no such thing as a free lunch. <laughs> okay? So you get what you pay for. Now, uh, is there a spectrum? Absolutely. Are, are there great things that you can do for less expensive? Yes. You should be good consumers and good customers and figure out what is right for you and what is the best kind of education. But getting by without in a world that changes we now generations now is not every 20 years we go through a generation it's every seven years and when it comes to technology it's even quicker than that you're going to wait to figure out well I trained very very specifically in this one area um, but I, because I didn't need a liberal arts education I didn't need a general education I didn't need a college degree because I was able to train in this specific area oh by the way they just invented something tomorrow which makes your entire area that you learned obsolete now you're 42 now you got to go out and train for a whole new thing that you're totally not prepared for so I, I believe in being well read I believe in d- developing skills in critical thinking and understanding uh, uh, uh I believe in statistical analysis, in data, do, getting skills in data analysis. I believe in reading books. Uh, my wife, again, reads a hundred books a year. She's smart, yes. Okay, she knows a lot. But the keeping on reading and the writing, and all, it makes you better. It, it helps you to grow. It makes you do more things uh, and gives you bit more opportunities to be successful going forward. I know I didn't exactly answer the question there, but... That's as close as I No, no, no. So that's one thing that I take from there. But I think the other lesson is that, uh, and this is not really about mentorship. We'll kind of segue away from that, I guess, because we're getting some questions in a little bit off the topic. And my, I guess what I take from that is that everything comes at a price, ultimately. Um, and President Jolie says that a cynic is the, Oscar Wilde said that a cynic is somebody who knows uh, the price of everything but the value of nothing. And I think that ultimately, um, when I look at higher education and I'm somebody who, God willing, will be a parent in a couple of months and the day school tuition bills are going to come and, you know, I hope that my children will be, and that I'll be able to afford to send my children to Yeshiva and to Stern. I guess ultimately for me, it's hoping that the support will be out there to enable me to contribute whatever I can to be able to educate my child, but to somebody else, if I can help, great, but if somebody else can help. So I guess for me, just to, I guess, answer the listener question as well, it's to say I can't make any assurances about what the world's going to hope for his children, her children, or even my children. What I can say is that if I value, if I know the value of something, then you have to use all the resources available to you out there, but also put in the resources necessary from you, even if it means making other sacrifices to make that possible. I'm one of the few people probably – in, ex- in the world, uh, who and certainly who would admit on public radio that I read Tim Tebow's biography uh, that came out a couple years ago. Um, you know, we had a Jets question before, so you know they need a new quarterback. Um, Please don't bring him back as a Jet fan. <laughs> but continue. Yeah, although they did talk about bringing him as a Cowboys backup when Romo went down. 
So in Thibaut's, uh biography, um, or autobiography, or so far, I guess, his autobiography to date, it talks about his parents, and he, he has a lot of respect for his parents. And his parents were, who are, are pastors, uh, very religious people, very uh, oriented in the Bible. Uh, they were trying to figure out where to send him and his siblings for um, uh, for, for college, for high school, uh, for school. And um, they uh, were, did a lot of thinking and a lot of soul searching. And finally, his father gathers the whole family together and they sit down. And he says, you know, I think I finally figured it out. I was reading the Bible and it says, actually what we read in Kriyashma, Vishinantam Levanech Avidibarta Bam. Uh, the responsibility is ours to teach you. It's our responsibility to uh, to to share with you what we've learned and to get you prepared for for life. And in fact, before schools were invented a couple thousand years ago, it really was a responsibility of the parents. And schools weren't created so the parents could have babysitting and and create some kind of uh, you know a situation where they could go out. And now parents have to work, and so it it does work out well for them. But we do have a responsibility. We have that responsibility to teach our children what we can and do whatever we can to make sure that they're prepared uh, for their lives and their futures. That's our that's our responsibility. Uh, and whether it's our own children or others, uh, and whether you're talking about higher education or a nursery school or high school or elementary school, wherever wherever you are, continuing ed, graduate school, everything. Uh, if we're not continuing to grow and learn, uh, we're, we're drying up. If we're not moving forward, uh, we're evaporating. And I think I, I, I certainly agree with you. And I would also agree, though, you know, not to take away from the previous, you know, conversation that we had, the mini conversation about the importance of formalized education and and getting the right education that's right for you, even if it's, you know, even if it means sacrifices. And who knows what the world is going to hold, you know, you know, turn to. Who, you know, the world is constantly changing. But I guess the other thing is that our job is to be the right supplementers, to be able to say, you know. At, to higher education, education in general, any school, any one school that we pick can't be everything to ev- to everyone. And our job is to, for each situation, to supplement that. Absolutely. Um, and speaking of the changing world, I just want to get to uh, one more listener question. Okay. Um, this is a challenging, uh, I, th- I think I think a difficult question, but I think you are up for the challenge. Um, and it is about uh, the, the very place that we stand today and also the community in general. And the question is whether or not, it comes from stretch, um, on the Lower East Side, uh, I think I have to get to those questions because he's my boss. Um, but also, the, but, but I think it's 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 a right question as somebody who has this pulse in the community. And the question is, can Yeshiva University um, stay on the course of the current modern Orthodox position in the middle, uh, in in modern Orthodoxy, as movements to the left and the right uh, continue to change wildly and on a continue continuous basis? What is how can we maintain our role and what is our role in there? My first answer, Stretch, is that if you want to ask me the hard questions, so you know. Invite me on your show, and we'll have a conversation. Are you trying to say that my show is not, you know, up no, there? No, with... you can ask me whatever questions you want, and he can ask me whatever questions he wants. I don't know why he has to use you. You know, he had no problem coming to my house in the middle of Sandy, where I'm, I'm sitting there in my sweatpants and dirty, and he walks in all stretch-like and, uh, you know, uh, all mentorship-like, you know, uh, and, and I'm sitting there. I'm in the middle of a war zone. Uh, but but now he asked me a difficult question sitting here. So that's my first answer. Um, the second answer, uh, a little more seriously, is that that's what Yeshiva University is. So can it? It must. Uh, it's what we are. We're not going to stop breathing. We're not going away anytime soon. Um, 
Mashiach should come tomorrow or today and take us all to Eretz Yisrael and why you should be continuing and going over there and, and, and developing programs now so we can be like the Rambam and, and uh, help with the uh, the ultimate BSA, BSA Goel. But, uh, but whether it's there or here or wherever we are, global, um, or if we, I guess, do interplanetary, why are you on Mars, anybody? Uh, we're still going to be who we are. We're still going to be Torah Umada. We're going to be Torah in conversation with the world. We're going to be in the middle. Nobody's going to like us. Nobody likes the middle. Like Ravarin Lichtenstein, my Rebbe, who should have Rafua Shalema, Ravarin Ben Bina, uh, he should, as he always says, it's like pose, being posea al sheteasipim. We're grabbing onto two, two things, and it's very difficult, and people see it as the middle, and nobody likes the middle, and the old saying, the donkeys go in the middle of the street, and you know, what else follows them, and so on and so forth. It's not easy. But that's our Mandate. That's what we believe in. Asking us to change our stripes to say we're not going. We're only going to be right. We're only going to be left. We're only going to be middle. That's not. Uh, that's not who we are. President Joel talks about Torah Madalichatchila, but the other piece of that is that it's within a big tent. And yes, a tent ultimately has walls, except for Avram and Sarah, it doesn't have walls, but it still has some kind of boundary, and then we can talk about good Asik and good Achit, and we'll get into the whole sugya on Erevin and Sukkah, uh, but uh, those dafyomis are over already, so we'll, we'll move forward. Uh, but, but, but the point is, we're a big tent. Uh, there are going to be people on the right, there are going to be people on the left, there are going to be people who say, uh, we always stand during uh, Kaddish, or people are going to say, we always sit during, we're Nusach Svar, we're Nusach Hari, we're Nusach Ashkenaz. And you know what? That is the beautiful cacophony that is Yeshiva University. We didn't create it, it's been here 127 years, Emir Hashem, I guess you can't say Ad Mehavas from now, uh, but. Uh, <laughs> Another Mehavas from. Whatever. Uh, and ultimately, it's up to God. Ultimately, uh, if if what we're doing is Hashem's work, which I hope and I daven that uh, you know every single day that uh, that we should have uh, Ezra Hashem to uh, to do what is what is right and what is good. Um, I, you know, ultimately that that will be the, the the final. You talked about the ultimate being the Hall of Fame. Uh, nobody here is looking to get into a Hall of Fame. We're just trying to make uh, the Jewish people a better people and we're trying to help the world to become a better place and i uh, i certainly see that firsthand every day and i thank you for that for uh continuing to keep me around uh, even if it's just for your own entertainment it is um so i want to ask At my you, expense though somehow somehow um, i want to ask you just a quick question uh, uh going back to something no you're not getting a raise okay there it is next one you heard it here first daniel gordon is not getting a raise um uh, but i want to talk about uh stress just because i found it fascinating this morning uh charlie harari your friend um, and I think he was your three-on-three uh, teammate yeah, we that, won, we won that defeated us. Yep. Um, for anybody who knows, when you play your mentor in basketball, you have to let them win. That's mentee speaking to mentor. Is that why you kicked me out? No, I did. Well, I think you're talking about some of my other teammates. I would never uh-huh. do such a thing sure. uh, to a rabbi of your stature. So he talked about stress being a positive thing, and I've watched you deal with all kinds of stress, personal, professional, and things like that. Um, so just kind of going on that, because listening to the show it was fascinating to hear his perspective. But what Charlie said, stress is positive. Charlie, I think he said it was awesome. And uh, what's not so awesome is how we don't. And, and by the way, if you haven't listened to the show, listen to the archives of the Book of Life uh, this morning. Uh, it's not how we deal with it. it. It's how we deal with it is not as awesome, but we. We can make that awesome. Uh, so you can listen to the archive maybe on the way home tonight. Um, so my question to you is what is practical? I'll be listening to www.yutorah.org. That's, uh, that's when you do your learning? Hey, if you're going to throw in things, I'm throwing things. There you go. <laughs> um, so my question to you is what is, as a mentor to a mentee, one practical, uh, you know, you teach me so much, practical tip for dealing with stress? Uh, 
Uh, well, I guess it's similar to what Charlie was saying, but but a little different. I'd say embrace it. I say embrace it because it's just it's it's part of life. Um, I have a long running debate with one of our mentors about whether life is beautiful and you just have bumps in the road that you have to learn to navigate, or whether life is I won't use the term that 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 we use. Life life is terrible, uh, and um, you got to find the positive moments and take the the good with you wherever you go. Um, I, I I think that um, when it comes to stress, uh, there can be stresses that cause you to do good things, and there can be stresses in life, pressures that come up that teach you important lessons. Uh, if you're not learning from those lessons, if you're not learning from the stresses, then it's not worth it. But if you embrace it and say, this is just part of my life, I'm going to have to deal with fill-in-the-blank, illness, fill-in-the-blank, uh, positive things that are can be a stress too, like Mirza Hashem having a baby, having a bar mitzvah, uh, a wedding, uh, um, you know, a, a work stress, uh, running out of money, personally or professionally, however it is. Uh, if you embrace the challenge for what it is, then you feel pressure. Um, but it doesn't become a stress that eats at you, that causes you to have physical ailments, that causes you to have emotional ailments uh, where you carry it with you wherever you go and it becomes part of your every conversation. Um, but I think if you embrace it, uh, if you welcome it, if you um, take it for what it is as just part of that journey, um, then I, I, I think you end up being able to learn from it and it becomes part of your educational experience. Thank and, you. And then you can, and you can always ask your mentor, uh, what they, what they would do with this. What case. they would do. Or you See, can, I bring it back together. Or you can turn on the archive of this about, uh, 47 minutes into the archive, um, and you get to it. So, uh, Josh, thank you so much. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for all that Anytime. you do. Um, as a, as one of your mentees, uh, for being, uh, my mentor. Um, and thank you for all that you and Yeshiva University do for me, uh, professionally, personally, and also, uh, for the community. Amen. Thank you. Thanks so, uh, for having me on. You're, you're very welcome. Uh, I would say any time, but uh, it takes me a lot of preparation because next time I have to brush up on my Greek mythology uh, before having you on. And Torah. Torah. Remember, uh, to, you, you used yeah. to learn some Torah. I used to learn. Well, that's well. you know what? Practical tip in addition to dealing with stress, listening uh, to Shiurim on Why You Torah on the way to and from work is certainly yeah, a way they to have, get You know what? They, they started these like five-minute Parsha things and ten-minute Musr Shmuzas. It's good. You know, you know, it, it, it's very helpful to, to get, a, get a dose of that every day. That uh, certainly, uh, you know, maybe what, what I'm going to do you is... get the app. Blina there. I have the app. I'm going to listen to my JM in the AM on the way in and my YU Torah on the way home. That's my new commitment to myself. Notice uh, he said Blinader. Blinader. I'm going to do my best. Um, so it is now time uh, for uh, some people's, uh, certainly my uh, favorite segment of the show, uh, and that I'm is the, the country music segment. You, no, no, the interview as a general <laughs> thing. Um, and, and that's country music. This month's song, um, Josh is going to correct me, it was written by somebody because in Canada or something, but Life is a Highway. Um, by Rascal Flats. If you can, I make the request as I do always. Stop what you are doing and this time pause for four minutes and 36 seconds. Take it all in and I will react afterwards. Sometimes you bend, sometimes you stand, sometimes you turn your back to the wind. There's a world outside. 
outside every darkened door Where blues won't haunt you anymore Where the brave are free and lovers soar Come ride with me to the distant shore We don't hesitate to break down the garden gate There's not much time left today That was Life is a Highway 
by Rascal Flatts. Um, I think that that song um, and its lyrics speak for themselves, and each time I listen to it, uh, I'm both comforted and inspired. I'm comforted because I realize that while each of us has challenges uh, in our lives and along our highways, we have the greatest navigation system in the world, and that's God. While the roads we travel are oftentimes challenging, the Frostian notion of the virtues of taking the road less traveled is actually something to strive for. Life is full of twists and turns. Sometimes we can't see what's around the next bend or we come to an unexpected speed bump. But if we look to our GPS, our godly position system, we can and will get through it and reach our destination. Moreover, I'm inspired because I realize that although it is challenging, our responsibility in this world is to build our own highways of meaning and of purpose and to leave the world a better place than how we got it. There's a great scene in Alice in Wonderland in which Alice turns to the Mad Hatter and says, Would you tell me, please, which way I ought to go from here? And the cat responds, That depends a good deal on where you want to get to. Uh, Alice says, I don't much care where. Then it doesn't matter which way you go, said the cat. Well, I admire Charles Lutwig Dodgson's literary accomplishments and will certainly benefit greatly from his stories in raising my children. I think he misses the point a little. We are all going somewhere and have something to contribute to this world. We all have our mission as a community and as individuals, and we need to pave our highways. So while we are all riding our highways all day and all night long, let's keep our eyes on the prize. Let's do whatever we can to fulfill our purpose in this world, because ultimately that's what makes the road worth driving, and that's what makes our lives worth living. You've been listening to The Stunt Show here on the Nahum Siegel Network. I am Daniel Gordon, and as always, thank you for making us a part of your day, week, and month. Coming up next, it's Throwback Thursday, I believe. It's a uh, orchestra performance uh, from in uh, from the studio. Uh, and join Nachum tomorrow morning from six to nine a.m. as he hosts JM in the AM live here at NachumSiegel.com and on ninety one point one FM. Make sure to tune in as he is joined by Malcolm Holmline for his weekly update, and he is joined by Dr. Chaim Sukenik, yeshiva graduate and current president of Machon Lev in Jerusalem. Tune in next week at this time for the next edition of the Stunt Show with Mayor Ferding. Thanks once again to my friend and mentor and boss, Rabbi Josh Joseph, for joining me this afternoon. In case you forgot, tonight's country song was Life is a Highway by Rascal Flatts. Once again, thank you to all those who sent in questions, and I welcome your honest feedback and comments at com. I hope you have gained something from this hour, and I hope that this show will gain its inspiration and content from you, the listeners. As always, I close with my favorite quote from the late, great Jimmy Valvano, basketball coach and founder of the V Foundation for Cancer Research and mentor for so many. There are three things we all should do every day. Number one is laugh. Number two is think. And number three is have your emotions move to tears. Could be happiness or joy, but think about it. If you laugh, you think and you cry, that's a full day. That's a heck of a day. You do that seven days a week, you're going to have something special. That's how I try to live my life, and I hope that this hour has been as special for you as it's been for me. See you next month. Goodbye.